You're listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. In this week's sermon, lead pastor Matt Dean begins our series titled, On This Rock, Jesus and the Church He Builds. Are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Verse 8, no, said Peter. (laughs) Again, great intentions. No, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Verse 9, then Lord Simon Peter, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath only needs to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. Verse 11, for he knew who was going to betray him and that that's why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked the disciples. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do these things. And then the attention turns to what's going to happen with Jesus' betrayal. Verse 18, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Verse 19, I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Verse 21, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. Can you imagine the tension in this room? This was a special meal, a sacred gathering, a holy moment. And the tension around the room begins to build when Jesus looks in this small gathering, this upper room of people. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And leaning back, um, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them meant. And one of them, disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining at him. Peter motioned to this disciple and said, who is he talking about? Peter, again, on the scene. Who is he talking about? And leaning back against Jesus, John asked him, Lord, who is it? In verse 26, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. And then, picture this with me, then dipping this piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Verse 31, when he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Verse 33, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, 
all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. In verse 38, he says, Jesus says, will you really lay your life down for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Can you imagine Peter's sense of discouragement? Here's a guy that truly loves Jesus, has made great claims to Jesus, has with great intentions tried to protect Jesus, who has been sternly and consistently rebuked by Jesus and confronted with the reality of his own sin by Jesus. Just kind of try to enter into the story for a moment. Here's a person that truly loves Jesus and with great intentions wants to protect and preserve Jesus. But Jesus did not come to be protected or preserved. He came to be poured out. And Jesus knew the mission, but Peter did not quite yet get it. Peter wanted to go with Jesus, and he said, no, not yet. He said, I will lay my life down for you, Jesus. And he says, will you really? Because before the sun comes up, you're going to say you don't know me three times. Can I ask you a question tonight? Have you ever made a promise to God? Let's be honest. Jesus, I will never, I promise I will always, from here on out, starting today, I promise I'm never going to, you ever done that before? Welcome to humanity, right? I can think of the promises I have made and not kept to God. Can you? Can you think about the grand statements with good intentions of, Jesus, I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do. I will lay my life down for you. And then when it becomes difficult or inconvenient or costly or unpopular or whatever you want to say, it's like, well, but not there or not that much or not with that person. And I just think we're a lot like Peter, aren't we? We truly love Jesus. I believe it. We, we truly want to lay our lives down for him, but it's just going to take some time before we understand exactly what Peter had before him. I want you to turn the page of your Bible. If it's like my Bible, then it picks up in John 14. Jesus has just confronted Peter, and he says, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Times And the very next words out of Jesus' mouth, do not let your hearts be troubled. He confronts Peter. He says what Peter's going to do. And then to the room, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, spoiler alert, if you keep reading the Gospels, and I sure hope you do, you'll come to know that there is a moment a few chapters over, John 18, John 18, 
where Peter's heart becomes troubled. And we're going to get to that in detail later. But it was when his heart became troubled and fearful and anxious that he denied Jesus. And that's what you need to hear tonight. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Because it's in that moment of a troubled heart that we most readily deny Jesus. You hear me on that? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Because it's in the moment of a troubled heart that we deny Jesus and we diminish the life that he intends for us to live. I so appreciate the failures of Peter because they remind me of my own. And when we think about the church that Jesus is building that the gates of hell will never overcome, it's rooted in this confession. You, not me, are the Messiah. You, not me, are the Son of the living God. You can save me, not me. I cannot save me. I am a disappointment. I am inconsistent. I have denied you and ignored you and rebelled against you and lied to myself and lied to you, but you have never lied to me. And it's on that confession, you are the Messiah, the saving one, the perfect one, the blameless one, the beautiful one who became my sin, though you were without sin. You became my sin that I could become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. And that's the confession that's ringing out in the morning at, in Algeria. That's the confession of the lady in Beauregard who lost everything and said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That's the confession that we want to hear ring out in this city that we're called to live in. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's the confession you want your coworker to say. That's the confession every parent longs to hear their child utter. That's the confession that mends together broken marriages. That's the confession that breaks the bondage of addiction. It's that confession. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's the confession. That's the economy that God operates in when we confess you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I would love to get ahead, but I can't get ahead. But I do want you just to turn over to a curious passage of Scripture with me in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, just keep turning towards the back of your Bible. Now remember, Jesus said to Peter, You are Peter, rock, and on you I will build this church. Now when you think about Peter's life, this is the guy that cut a dude's ear off. This is the guy that said, I will lay my life down for you and denied him over and over again. This is the guy that Jesus says, do you really love me? Do you really love me? Do you really love me? This is a guy that says, I don't know Jesus. I don't know that guy. I don't know that guy. I don't know that guy. And Peter is this juxtaposition of faith and rebellion, like of real love for Jesus and a total coward, of this guy with great intentions and horrible follow-through, of a guy that acts before he even thinks and a guy that's been lovingly and consistently rebuked by Jesus. And when you think about Peter, and you think about God's restoration 
of Peter. Think about this, and I, I'm getting ahead, but I'm too excited not to say this. Peter denied Jesus over a fire. And Peter reinstates Jesus over a fire on that beach right there. It was over a fire. Peter was cold, warming his hands, and he was said, hey, don't you know Jesus? And he's like, I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy. And it was on that beach over a fire that Jesus says, hey, Peter. And in the moment of our greatest profound failure and rebellion of God, there he meets us. Think about your most shameless thing you've done or said. He can meet you there and wash you white as snow. Think about the horrible lies you have said, the things you have done. He can meet you there and wash you white as snow. He recalls your sin no more. You are a forgiven people. And it's just powerful to me to think that a guy who completely messed up over and over again, God would use to build the church and Here's the question I want us to think about tonight. Why? Why would God use someone who has failed him to build the church? Now, under the subheading of because God's infinitely wise, I just want to go on and give that disclaimer. But I think one of the reasons why for us from a human perspective is because Peter's confession was genuine. It was authentic. This is a guy that knew that he knew that he knew he knew needed Jesus. So with that in mind, listen to a couple phrases that Peter has written to the church. Though your faith refined by fire. <laughs> though your faith refined by fire. Context, rebellion, rebellion, rebellion. I don't know you. I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I don't Though your faith, where you denied Jesus, though your faith be refined by fire, may be proven genuine. For you are obtaining the goal of your salvation, the salvation of your souls. Listen to this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree so that we might die to sins. And live for righteousness. This is Peter. For by his wounds you have been healed. Verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Why can he write that? Because he is the sheep of all sheep who needs the shepherd of all shepherds. Look at this last verse. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, this is what we're going to end on. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Yet Peter's going to deny me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. What is Peter saying? Verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. For Peter to say, cast all 
your anxiety on him is reflective of the fact that when he was anxious, he did not do that. And he denied him over and over and over again. So hear me tonight. It's the troubled heart. It's the anxious heart that is prone to deny the goodness of God. And Jesus' words are, do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he says this, Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. As a person who has regularly dealt with anxiety, I don't want to minimize clinical anxiety or depression. But just hear the word of God tonight as I hear it. Do not let your hearts be troubled and cast all your anxiety, situational or clinical, medically treated or not, just cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Listen to Peter. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Verse 10, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You may be in that season of life where you are neither strong nor firm nor steadfast. And the God of all grace will in due time restore you to that place of strength and firmness and steadfastness of heart. As we prepare our hearts to receive communion tonight, I just feel like it's important that you hear that same confession from another voice in Scripture. Because that confession is your confession. That confession is my confession. Hear the words of Paul as we prepare our hearts to receive communion. I know that nothing good lives in me. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my flesh. Can you recognize this? For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I want to do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Verse 21, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my flesh. What a wretched man I am. Listen to this. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I have done what I did not want to do, and I'm not doing what I want to do. Who will save me? You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And tonight as we approach the table, tonight as we 
taste the cup and remember the bread, we remember that that freedom, that confession came at a cost, and the cost was the life of Jesus. And though he was without sin, he became my sin and your sin and the sins of all who would believe. And there's a heaviness to that, but there's a a profound hope, too, that as we continue to walk this life saying, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that our confession over time leads to discipleship, which leads to obedience, which leads to personal holiness, which leads to a greater proclamation of God's saving grace in our lives. And I'll tell you this, if you ever have the privilege of talking with someone who has walked with Jesus for their whole life, as their life draws to a close here on earth, one of the sweetest things you will hear them say is the tender mercy that God has shown them over their lives. And it's that good confession. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Let's pray. For more information or for ways that you can partner with the mission of Grace Auburn, visit our website, graceauburn.church.